Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. This is Oren Herskowitz from Columbia University, and I'm joined today by Josh Resnick of RA Capital and Deb Palestrand of 5AM Ventures. Uh, this was going to be a conversation we were going to have in front of the autumn audience in March 2020 in San Diego. But when the meeting was canceled, uh, Josh and Deb were gracious enough to allow us to continue this conversation remotely. It is extraordinary times. And so if we do hear people's children or pets um, wandering around in the background, please excuse us. We'll try and do the best we can. Um, so thanks for joining us. I'm going to, I just to give the audience a sense of a little bit about who you are, maybe we can start off with giving uh, each of you doing a little bit of an introduction to who you are, a bit about the fund that you're working with, uh, where you were before that, a little bit more about your background. And also, many of us have a, many of us in tech transfer have this very romantic view of what life as a venture capitalist is like. Um, and so if you could talk to us a little bit about how you ended up becoming a venture capitalist and if it's sort of met your expectations. And uh, Josh, maybe I could ask you to go first. Sure. This is uh, Josh Resnick. I'm a managing director at RA Capital, where I run our uh, early stage and venture group. Um, RA Capital is a roughly $4 billion set of funds, uh, all focused uh, essentially on, 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 on biotech and therapeutics. Uh, we do some, some limited diagnostics and medical device investing, but the vast majority of what we do are uh, invest in therapeutics. Um, it's, we, we invest across the stage from um, very, very early seed stage, even pre-seed um, within our, with our incubator all the way through crossovers and IPOs. So we're, we're, we're sort of a true multi-stage fund. We have the ability to follow companies and create companies and follow them all the way through uh, their, their life cycle. Um, I've, been do, I've, been in, uh, I've been in venture uh, for better part, about 15 years. I've um, uh, been at RA for about three, about two now. Um, uh, and uh, I've been a part, was a partner before this at SV. Uh, uh, health investors and was a venture partner at Atlas before that. Um, you know, I started my, uh, so, you know, I guess just backing up, you know, I'm a, I'm a, by training, I'm an ER doctor, a physician and ER doctor, uh, and I'm on faculty at, and uh, practice clinically a little bit at, at Mass General. Um, um, but I've been, you know, ever since residency, uh, which I graduated, which I finished in 2000 and, um, uh, five or six, um, I've been doing early stage uh, venture capital, biotech venture capital. Um, and I got, you know, I got into this field. It's actually a funny story. So the first time, my first exposure to, to venture capitalists was when I was probably 10 or 11. And my dad, who's also a physician, uh, was starting, uh, uh, starting a, a, a healthcare company, one of the early capitated, uh, one of the early capitated um, uh, HMOs uh, back in the, back in the eighties. Um, and he was, he, he mentioned he's a physician, he's an internist and was starting SUP and was raising, uh, raising venture capital uh, for that. And I remember uh, dinner conversations about uh, him going out and talking to these, these, you know, these people who would sit around and hear interesting stories from interesting people and decide what, what to invest in and build. And I, I remember thinking it's, it's, a, it's bizarre because I'm an 11 year old who wants to be a venture capitalist. You have to, you have to wonder, but uh, <laughs> nevertheless, I remember sitting there and thinking, what a, what a cool thing that you, you just sort of sit around and hear, hear, interesting people who are doing interesting things and, and that's how you build your career. And um, so that was my first exposure to it. And I, you know, I, I initially went into the, the family business and became a, became a physician, um, uh, did my residency in Boston, but then, um, you know, at, at the end of residency really decided that I wanted to, to make, make my career in, in uh, helping to build companies in particular companies, biotech companies. And so that's what I've been, uh, been doing for the last last 15 years. I think that the, the, the you know, venture capital, particularly real estate biotech venture capital has changed 
dramatically in the last, since I've been doing it. In the first five years of my career, um, it really was you know sitting around and, and hearing pitches from people, right? It was it was exactly what you sort of the, the popular conception of venture capital is. Um, you know, in, in you know post two thousand eight two thousand nine. That, you know, early stage biotech venture capital really became about uh, company creation. Um, much, much of it. it really became about partnering with universities and entrepreneurs and scientists to, uh, to, 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 to provide both some of the management expertise and also the capital to build these companies. And so that's, to me, that's been, you know, the most exciting transition in my, in my career to become a, going from being a sort of guy who sits around hearing pitches to someone who's actually, you know, over the last decade or so, someone who's actually helping to create these, these exciting companies. Great. Thanks, Josh. Deb, how about you? Yeah, so um, I have sort of the opposite. Um, I, um, I'm trained as a biochemist and I spent about, I did my graduate work and my postdoc and went into big pharma and spent about seven years at Novartis doing structure-based drug discovery. Um, my, uh, I'll, I'll give a little bit of background about myself and into venture capital, and then I'll talk about 5am at the end, uh, briefly. Um, my, um, my husband is an entrepreneur. He is a surgeon turned entrepreneur. And so when I was at Novartis, he would come home and, and show me cap tables and pitch decks as he was building his company. And I was like, I never learned any of this in my graduate work and my postdoc. Um, and so I decided to do a nights and weekends course in business uh, uh, at business school um, and got my MBA. And in that, um, in that effort, I was urged to go follow someone in my company on the business side. So I followed someone, um, Jay Knowles, who's now at PIF, um, uh, at Novartis. Uh, he was the strategic alliance manager for the platform group at Novartis, and he exposed me to venture capital. So my first time uh, being exposed to venture capital was really sitting at the table um, at JP Morgan when I helped uh, him kind of put the Novartis JP Morgan book together. Um, and I realized at that moment that I could use my science to, to do something that was very different from being at the bench. That was sort of the first time I knew that. Um, uh, after I did a little uh, sabbatical in the Strategic Alliances group, I went back to the bench at, at Novartis. And about two years later, I got a call from Third Rock saying, hey, we're going to hire some associates for a second fund. Do you know anyone that might be interested? course I raised my hand and said yes. <laughs> um, and so I have always done company creation. So Third Rock is a company creation um, venture capital firm. I had went joined Third Rock to do company creation. At that moment they were doing blueprint which was very much aligned with my background as a structural biologist. Um, and so I got right into company creation, um, learned, uh, learned there and went into blueprint the first year it launched and then came back to Third Rock and did Editas Medicine. Um, at that point, that had been my third project at Third Rock. I decided to move into Editas full time and learn some business development. Um, ran business development, so the first time I was in a biotech but not doing bench work. Um, uh, learned business development uh, for four years at Editas and then moved to do corporate development and strategy at a company called Relay Therapeutics. And then after that, um, had the opportunity to join 5AM and really focus on uh, industrializing their de novo company creation arm internally. So 5AM Ventures uh, currently investing out of their sixth fund, um, a $350 million fund. I think historically, they had done about one to two de novo companies per fund. And in this fund, the goal was really to raise that effort to five new companies in the fund. 
Um, the fund invests, like, like our ICAP, mostly in therapeutics. There's some tools and enabling technologies in the fund as well, but I'd say 80% is focused on therapeutics. Um, modality agnostic, therapeutic area agnostic, um, and really looking to be transformative for patients. And so that's really the drive is, is um, investing in or building companies um, uh, uh, that are going to be transformative for patients. I think importantly, and, and uh, in contrast to Josh, um, I've just recently started sitting in on a lot of these pitches, right? So this, is, this, this part of it is very new. I am very much, my history has always been rolling up my sleeves and, and building companies. So you guys both make a distinction that I think is interesting and may not be as, as obvious to those of us on the university side as it may be to your side. So I'm interested in your perspective. Um, when I joined this field 15 years ago, I was at the Boston Consulting Group before this and sort of fell backwards into this profession. Um, so, so when we're working with faculty who are thinking about, I have a new invention or faculty or graduate students, I have a new invention that might have an impact on society, uh, might really change people's lives. And you know, I need a hundred things. Um, I need mentorship, I need advice, I need to connections to industry, I need to build a prototype, I need to understand regulatory. It, the list is almost endless. I need space, I need insurance, I need, I need all sorts of things. And I need money. And, and I think it's, it's easy for people sitting there to look at all sources of money as equal sources of money. There's, you know, maybe there's a distinction between seed investors and, you know, angel investors, seed investors and venture capital. But I think to many in our profession, the, the world of venture capital is just sort of one large pile of money that is looking to invest in stuff. And you guys have both made a distinction between, uh, Josh, I think you mentioned this, but the, what, what it used to be like at RA and, and, you know, and for the rest of your career, um, versus this company creation model that you're talking about now. And I know, Deb, maybe, maybe I can start with you. Um, I always thought of 5AM as already a super early fund. I mean, it's sort of implied in the name is, it, this is as early as anybody would ever wanna go. Nobody wants to go earlier than 5AM. Um, and yet, you guys have created something even earlier than 5AM. So, so what does it mean to be a company creator versus a super early stage investor? Yeah, it's a great question. And I do think um, it's, it's even harder in biotech. Um, so uh, I'll, I'll say why in a moment. But, you know, there's early company creation, which is, um, you know, there's an idea, there's a team, there's a strategy, but it's, it's maybe just a little bit built out and it really needs to extend to get, get some proof of concept, concept and an inflection point. And that's, I think that is venture capital. I think that is what typical venture wants to invest in is like, here's this great idea and this great team and this great strategy and let's go make this happen. There's even earlier than that, 459, where you don't exactly know what the company should look like yet. You don't exactly know who the perfect team is yet, but you know that there is this you know, amazing scientific advancement or new discovery that makes the potential of a great therapeutic um, uh, you know, sit in front of you and say like, wait, I might be able to do something that I couldn't have done before. And so that's what you're trying to capture in this new company creation is what is the perfect team to enable this technology advancement to, to see the light and have that impact? What is the best strategy to get there? And so that's even before you would come in and typically pitch to a series A investor, because you don't, you don't exactly know what the business plan, the business model, the strategy, the pipeline, um, you don't even know if you can get the license for the technology yet to, to take it out of a university and, and build the company. Um, 
And so, and, and then you don't know what the phenotype of, of the team needs to look like until you start to, to um, shape what that company looks like. Um, you don't know what the right CEO phenotype will be depending, that will change depending on, you know, who, who you're pointing that company towards. Is it a diagnostics? Is it a, a therapeutic? It, you know, the CEO looks a lot different in those cases. Um, and then you layer on top of that, that it's biotech. And so to your point, there are a lot of other things in the background that go into company creation. I mean, everything from like getting IT set up and getting G Suite and bills and finance set up and getting lab space and, and these things that are, are um, typical company creation efforts. Um, you layer on top of that that biology and science is just hard. And so what you don't want to do is have those things that are operational logistic things that need to get done and they look a little different for every company but um but at the same time are are um somewhat standard every company needs them you want your people to be focused on what are the key scientific things that need to happen because the science is hard and so what you find is a lot of these very early company creators get a little bit paralyzed in the logistics and when their efforts should really be focused on the science and get the science to re reproduce and get the you know the experiments to to read out the data that you're hoping to see and so that's where um, that's where having a, a, a partner like a venture firm that really can help with some of of all these other elements and know where to go and stop that paralysis um, really helps advance company creation and is there so within the firm is there a clear divide between what you're doing at 459 and the rest of the team at 5 a.m. Um, I mean, is it, is it sort of as, is it, is it run like two different groups or is this, are you more the sort of front facing earliest, the first person an early stage company might meet in that sense? There's no formal divide. And in fact, people say, oh, who is your 459 team? And I say, it's actually the entire 5 a.m. team. <laughs> so there's no formal divide at all. Um, I think as projects mature on the 459, 459 team, certain people from 5am are just more suited to participate based on the scientific area or their backgrounds. Um, but that is, uh, there's not a formal separation. We're all over looking, you know, and, and interacting with each other. We're all participating in the 459 companies as well. Got it. Josh, how about you? You mentioned that RA has, has made a shift. Um, and that I mean, maybe I think you say it framed it in the sense that the whole industry has made a shift. Um, uh, is this something that, that are you, are you guys sort of just more agnostic in the kinds of companies you look for, or are you saying you're, that the firm is really focusing on the company creation side more? Yeah. So, I mean, I think I, what I was saying was more that the industry has made, has made a shift, uh, and, and there's more, more early creation, but I, but already, you know, certainly we've, we've, uh, we haven't made a shift, but we've, we've incorporated that, that piece of uh, of, of investing and, and portfolio into the into the into our, our overall practice, and I think you know for us it's really reflective of um, uh, wanting to have the ability to uh, to um, uh, invest in and help you know help uh, uh, advance the, the the best therapeutic ideas wherever we find them, right? So if we find them inside of a you know an existing company that 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 needs capital to go public, great. That will ha we're happy to do that in many ways. That's that's easy, easier than starting own things. But if 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 we find those those opportunities, you know, we, the the company doesn't exist. Um, we want to have the ability to uh, to take our to take our insights and our conviction and and follow it regardless whether it's an existing company or whether we have to build it ourselves. Um, so that that's sort of the, the our, our philosophy on why 
you know, uh, you know, we start, we started, we start and start, we start with the, with the insights and the conviction around um, a therapeutic uh, modality or, or, a me or a medical need or, or scientific observation or what have you. So we start with the, the conviction and then we fit, then we say, what's the, what's the best way to, um, to realize this opportunity? Is it through an existing company or is it by starting something ourselves? And Josh, when you say starting selling yourself, we are, we, there are a few VC firms that we work with at Columbia fairly regularly who seem like they're going as early as I can even imagine. So not just finding an interesting idea, an interesting but unproven idea outside the company, usually in the walls of, the, of academia, but in some cases identifying a problem and you know, bringing the thought leaders together inside their own firm or sometimes even just leveraging their own firm's existing team to launch the company themselves. Are either of you guys doing that, or is that sort of the next frontier? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll speak to that on our end. I mean, we, we I mean, I think that um, we do do that on a number of, of domains. I mean, one is is sort of, um, hey, we'd like to participate in in X space. Let's go and 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 do a white space analysis and see who the who the thought leaders are, what the assets are out there, and then build a, around that. Um, the other way we do it is 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 through our incubator, where we really have the ability. Um, to uh, at least on the small molecule side, we really do have the ability to do internal um, internal discovery uh, and and advance our internal compounds as far as through through a phase one. Um, and so we are doing some of our own um, sort of hey you know some of our own screening and some of our own discovery of of um, um, that 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 in the past you wouldn't you wouldn't do without having a, a formally having a, a company dedicated to that thing in place. Yeah, we also um, do that sort of white space analysis. Um, we have a, uh, a set of sort of themes that we get really smart in. So this, these themes have sort of emerged from both tracking the literature um, as well as leveraging our venture partners and our internal team who are, who are, are really active and, and recognized in terms of, of tracking literature and going to conferences and, and seeing what's sort of happening and the advances in technology. And so what we've developed is an area of, of 10 themes of where our team is, starts to get very smart. So it's both doing an internal white space as well as identifying the KOLs in the area and having these deep scientific discussions. And it also helps us um, with reach outs to tech transfer offices, frankly, um, to sort of uh, narrow the scope of, of all the areas that they can potentially send us. So while we're um, we're certainly you know, agnostic and, and opportunistic with, with things coming in, we're a lot smarter and have a, a higher uh, level of internal interest in a certain in a handful of certain areas based on what the science is telling us is, is sort of thematically uh, uh, advancing and where we think there might be an opportunity to do something really transformational in the near future. Yeah, so so that's a softball. I have to ask, considering your your this will be listened to by a couple of thousand <laughs> tech transfer professionals. Um, so Deb, what kind of opportunities should we be sending to you? <laughs> What are your areas of interest these days? And yeah. Josh, you can get teed up on this one. I'm gonna ask you next. So, so it's evolving, it's an evergreen list. And so I do send it out to tech transfer offices if they ask us, so feel free to ping me on this. Um, but I also highlight that this, uh, this list was, the, the current one that we have was, was kind of gone through and, and modified in, in August of last, if 2019. And so it's ready for a refresh. Um, but some areas of, of uh, interest that are really exciting to us right now that we're, we're doing deep dives into and, and have seen a lot and have learned a lot, regenerative medicine, the regulatory genome, delivery in general. So this is really thinking about getting modalities 
important modalities to cell types, specific cell types of choice, not just getting modalities to tissues, but really specific cell types. Um, big data, I know everyone says big data, but it's, it's really thinking about how best to use all of these new data sets that are, are coming in to be really smart and thoughtful in target choices and indication analysis. And so uh, I don't know if that's a new company necessarily, that could be something that helps um, across our entire portfolio. But um, those are four of the 10 exciting interest, uh, themes of interest that we have right now. So I can go through more, like I said, ping me and I'll send you the sheet. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll get that sheet from you before I send this out and we'll attach it to the email so everyone has it, just so you don't get bombarded by thousands of emails. I don't know if I want to do that, but um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Okay. Like I, I think the challenge is always, there's a voiceover that goes with it with, this is an ever evolving list. And because I, it, it is like a, a point in time that that sheet goes with and not um, a, uh, uh, a list I want anyone to hold for very long in their hands. Like, Got it. So that's, that's the voiceover that has to go with the, with, with the email. Right, which actually itself is an interesting reflection of the time that we're in. I mean, it's, it, I yeah. remember even when I joined the field 10 or 15 years ago, and I'm not a life science person, um, but it seemed like there would be things changed, but they changed the, the technologies of interest might change every few years. Um, uh, and it seems like the, the, the pace of, of, of change in the field, especially as biology and engineering seem to be increasingly intermeshed, um, has made it very, uh, a very exciting time and also a little bit overwhelming for those of us who are trying to, to figure out what things to focus on. Yeah. Josh, what are you guys seeing at RA? What? You're muted, by the way. Yeah, yeah, sorry. So I'm going to give you a frustrating answer, which is uh, we don't really we don't think of things in terms of interest areas. Um, you know, we are we are really set up to um, to be able to evaluate everything that comes in or everything we find. Uh, and really, the only criteria we bring to it is 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 this is this technology advancement molecule whatever um, going to make a fundamental diff therapeutic difference to a to an unmet medical need. Um, and we want to, we, you know, so, so, um, and, and so it's, it's a, I guess, an unsatisfying answer in a certain way, but it is how we think about, about the world. And, you know, and, and, and what that means is we're, you know, when we are um, engaging with, with, with universities, with academics is that we, we, we really prioritize, we, what we don't, we, we don't, what we don't do is come to, you know, tech transfer offices or universities and say, here's our list, show us what you got. That, that meets this. What we do do is is try to try to get under the covers and really understand um, who are the you know who are the PIs um, who, who who are or have the potential to be working on on you know fu fundamentally transformational therapeutics. Whether that's you know whether that's a um, you know and that can mean anything, right? That could mean you know fundamentally new um, you know cell therapy delivery mechanism, you know, alt CRISPR alternative, you know blindingly new te technology. Or it could mean a repurposed drug that's being advanced for you know for some for some medical need that has that's unmet heretofore unmet right so we're not we're not technology or necessarily scientific um, area specific we're really focused on where we can where we can make the impact in in, in the best way we can um, and so what that means when we interact with universities in particular is we're really focused on um, on, on building uh, deep and long term relationships with tech transfer offices and and and, and PIs. Um, to, to really give our thoughts and insight, help give our thoughts and insights and in how to take interesting research and, and advance it to the point that you are, you know, tickle, tick, tickling with or flirting with um, um, 
fund, fundamental medical advances, right? So that, that's kind of how we think about the world. So, so sort of unsatisfying in a, we don't have a list, but, um, but that's, that's sort of what we're looking for. It's complicated because, um, you know, as thinking about this from the university side, um, there are institutions and, you know, Columbia is lucky to be one of them, but there are institutions that are sort of global brand name institutions in major startup hubs with decades or even hundreds of years of innovation history and, and you know, the chance to build these relationships with the top tier uh, life science venture capitalists. And then there's sort of the rest of the world. Um, in particular, when I when I asked uh, when I asked the autumn membership list what what they wanted to talk about and some questions I should ask you guys, um, one of the most common ones I heard back was, "It's all well and good if you're MIT or Harvard or Stanford or Columbia um, or UCLA, and and you have you know that kind of brand recognition and that kind of walkable access to to the VCs. What about the rest of the country? What about the the other institutions that don't have the history?" Um, it seems like in an ideal world, truly transformative science should rise to the top and yeah. should be able to get the attention of the people that, that want to invest in it. And yet it really does often seem to come down to personal relationships and a history of trust. And so is there, have you ever thought about ways that we could get past that or, or broaden that out? Yeah, I mean, I, look, I think that, that, you know, in a perfect world, you're right, the market would be, you know, quote, more efficient and, and transformational science would rise to that. But what transformational is in the eye of the beholder, you know, PIs at major universities are going to more likely have their stuff published in science and that, you know, get noticed. So, so it's, it's a far from perfect market and perfect system. Um, in addition, we all know that by the time something makes it into a publication or into a published patent, it's probably too late anyway. And so if the, if the VCs weren't already poking around, then having a paper published is probably it's it's out of, it's out of, it's you know that that's not the time to do it. Um, so you know, look, I think it's I think it's incumbent. Frankly, I think it's it's um, we 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 see we see um, um, uh, universities that aren't necess still necessarily aren't necessarily on the coast and have access to to VCs easily as 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 really untapped territory for fantastic science and fantastic opportunities. So we we prioritize very much prioritize. You know, getting to places like you know, like Texas or like Pittsburgh or like you know, like Mayo, where we know that the the uh, the technology and, and the science is fantastic, but there's not maybe not as many people po poking around, and 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 we prioritize getting out there and getting to know the the, the PI guys and 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 assess and assess the science. Um, you know, so I don't know, frankly, a, a better way to do it than that. I don't, you know, I think that. Um, it would be easy to say that, yeah, the, you know, the, the, the tech transfer offices from, um, you know, WashU should be getting out there more and, 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 but, you know, budgets and time and whatever are limited. Right. And so I think, I think it is incumbent, uh, incumbent on, 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 on the VCs and the company creators. And it's foolish, you know, it, it's foolish to only look in your backyard when there's great science everywhere. Yeah, I, I tend to agree, Josh. Um, I think, you know, th this is actually, this was sort of the impetus to our themes is how do we connect with tech transfer outside of this Boston community and our kind of academics and have a, a nucleation event to start the conversation and build these relationships. And so that actually was like, how do we reach out and, and have a conversation around particular areas that they feel there's a reason to connect on. Um, and so we, um, we, we kind of connect with tech transfer offices. Also, we don't limit at all to, to geography. 
um, uh, through a number of ways. So we're, we're pretty active at conferences. Um, and so we engage with the academics at the conferences, which often leads us to, our tech trans to their tech transfer offices. Um, and then um, when we start to do these deep dives into certain themes of interest or thematic areas, we start to engage with KOLs very deeply. And of course, and I'm sure Josh does the same thing, at the end of every KOL call, the, the last question is, who else should we be talking to in the space? Who do you think is making an impact in the space? And so from that sort of networking event, um, we are reaching out to the, the best and the greatest KOLs. So that does often lead us back channel, back to the tech transfer offices as well. Um, and I think uh, that that ends up being very important. I will say that this, this uh, COVID time has actually done um, really great uh, for tech transfer offices in terms of, um, I've had a number of virtual tech transfer visits uh, and, and off, quote unquote office hours saying, with tech transfer offices saying like, hey, you know, th these are the themes of interest, here's the starting conversation and maybe we can have a two or three hour conversation with you line up two or three really key academics that we should be interacting with that it aren't necessarily topic based. They are not necessarily like, they have a particular um, uh, piece of IP that I'm interested in, but hey, they're deep in regenerative medicine, which is an area I'm excited about, and maybe just an hour conversation with a KOL that I hadn't thought about um, is, is warranted here. So I think that um, you know it is hard to scour the country, let alone the globe, and we do some international visits as well um, for all the tech transfer and all the, the available technologies. Um, having a starting point, and again, that was the impetus to our themes, um, to start the conversation ends up being really important. You know, the other, other thing I might add to that is, that, you know, that, that, that uh, one, one of the challenges, I think, for, for less high volume uh, universities is, is, you know, great translational science doesn't exist in a vacuum, right? It takes, it takes mentorship, it takes people who have done it before, right? So the thing you have in, you know, New York universities or Boston universities or San Francisco universities, you have a community of, of, PIs who have done it before, entrepreneurs, experienced tech transfer people, right? Who 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 understand that, yeah, you can you can drive your research that way, but you know, shift it five degrees to the right, and now you have something that's that's translatable that people will notice. Um, it's not it's not reasonable to expect that at, at you know at, at places that don't have that that volume and that that ability to provide mentorship. And so that's where I think that you know that, that particularly the company creation venture capitalists like us or 5am um, can, can really play a role, right? We can, you know, play a role in, in supplying some of that, you know, at least our perspective of, uh, you know, of mentorship and, 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 and guidance and thought, thought about, you know, not necessarily directing research, but, but thoughtfulness about, okay, well, if your goal is to, to, to create something that um, ultimately is a company and is financed externally, you know, here's how you might want to think about going about it. Um, May, may, you know, may, the major centers are, are, are good at that and have those have those connections in that network and that mentorship at the, you know, but many places. Yeah, and, and just one last plug around um, sort of the this KOL network that emerges from these conversations. Um, these end up when you actually are, are in company creation mode and creating a company um, a strategy, these conversations circle back up for um, advisory relationships and, and, um, and really kind of understanding that you have the brightest people in the area around the table. So they're not, they're not always like, I must have a to find a particular technology. They're very much a, I am, I am understanding and learning on the strategy and the company that we create will be informed and helped and guided by potentially by these people. And so these relationships end up being really important wherever they are across the country. They're not, right. they're not. 
necessarily around particular IP or technology that's being licensed. Right, and you know, it's interesting, I think you both mentioned this, but um, it's, it's, almost, it's almost impossible these days to find a university that isn't trying to quote unquote, you know, address the valley of death problem. Um, and university uh, innovation. So whether it's the large, you know, whether it's the large institutions or the large sort of private institutions or the state schools or even uh, smaller campuses, everyone has incubators. Everyone has accelerator programs. Everyone has mentor programs. Um, and yet we still don't seem to be batting a thousand on, on creating venture backable startups emerging from the universities. Um, and even when they are venture backable, many of them seem to run into a fairly common set of challenges once they actually launch and grow. Um, and so I guess from your perspective, thinking across the universities you typically work with and the startups you've funded, are there a common set of failure points either in the process of extracting the, university, the technology from the university or from those companies once they launch? Like, are there three or four things you see routinely being done wrong that maybe could be avoided? Ooh, um, I have a couple very specific, more tactical things that I don't know, you know, maybe it's not the high enough level view. Um, a lot of the times I see incubators or accelerators in universities driving things forward to try to get to a molecule. So this is a very specific um, comment here. To try to get to a molecule or a quote unquote lead. And they feel like that is the moment that they, they then will want to go talk to the venture group. The challenge there is often that's um, uh, often at, uh, they've skipped a few steps that would be required to get the venture group excited, target validation, human genetic data, kind of some of these really basic things. The lead does not necessarily mean the investment is coming, right? And on top of that, the lead is probably still not the lead from the venture group side, right? And, and when I say venture group side, from probably the pharma side, right? There's a lot more kind of levels of, of, um, of work that need to be done to sort of get to that true lead. And so I find from a very tactical perspective, there's often a, um, a view of I must have a lead to go talk to venture, which isn't necessarily the right place to come in. I think it's, it's more like, hey, I have this, maybe it's I have a target or I have an idea and, and I realize that's a little bit scary because the IP angle on it. Um, but frankly, IP on a lead that isn't actually your lead doesn't get you anything anyway. So, um, so I, I think there, that, that's a very more, more tactical answer to your question. Um, I think, um, uh, I guess that's all I'll say for now. I don't know, Josh. Well, yeah, I have a list. Uh, so, <laughs> so I would agree with that, right? I think that there's, there, there is a sort of perception that, okay, we just, if we just put another, you know, million in or five million in will be that much more valuable. And often that is not quite in the right direction in, in a number of ways, right? One, one is exactly what Deb said, the, the, the drug design, the drug development doesn't necessarily um, meet commercial standards. Um, another way sometimes that goes awry is, is hiring business teams, right? So you often see these, these kind of companies that have hired the, you know, the, 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 the local, you know, you especially see this in non, in, you know, sort of, sort of non-coastal universities. Right where they've hired you know some some local businessmen to be the to be the business guy 
And inevitably that, that creates more problems than it's worth. If you look at how, how, how company creation VCs start companies, you know, generally we start with the scientists. We're not hiring business people until further down the road because when you're hiring that CEO or CFO or what have you, you want a stellar world-class person and you're not going to get that at the very earliest stages. And so you, you, you know, and, and nor, nor do you need it. And so that, that, that's another, uh, that's another challenge. Um, I think early, early, early publication patent filing, um, you know, there's, there's often this rush to, to obviously, obviously rush to publish, um, which can, can be problematic. Um, but often also the rush to, to patent can be problematic. Um, cause obviously that start, starts a clock and starts educating the world. And most, most VCs know that once a patent's published, we can usually figure out our, a way around things. Um, if, you know, if, if we see a patent, not always, but usually. And so, and so the, as soon as it's out there, the value starts, start the, the clock is ticking, the value goes down. So I encourage, you know, especially when it comes to chemical matter, um, being very thoughtful and cautious about when you, when, when IP is, is filed. Um, and then the last thing I think is, is. Uh, parsing the world too finely, right? So, you know, there, there's, there's a tendency for, for universities and particularly certain labs and universities to say, okay, here's this thing, it's a company. And then, you know, a slight change on that, that's another company. And you get, you get, you know, you get companies that are, that are very finely, very, very close to each other. And they won't, won't name names, but there's, you know, several very high profile, you know, PIs who, who go down this path. Um, you know, rather than rather than I think where the real value is in pulling together strands of research to create to help create something that that's really um, uh, robust and valuable. Um, that's it for now. That's my list. Yeah, those are really. I mean, it's it's interesting because again, as as a tech transfer person myself, um, those all resonate very strongly and also seem structural to some degree. So you know, universities file patents. Why do universities file patents early? Well, because the coin of the realm in academia is publishing papers. That's how people get tenure. That's how people get promotions. That's how people's labs grow. That's how they get grants. That's how they get invited to conferences. And so it's a, it's total anathema to, to a university to say, let's, let's, you know, wait and file later because the alternative to that is that it just gets published anyway. Um, and yet at the same time, we recognize the damage that can do. I also think Josh, to your point about, about, I guess the sort of feeling the elephant problem of, uh, the, these these experts are often world class experts in in very very specific subject matter, and so to the, to the faculty, you might you might see they might see a thousand flavors of the work they do, whereas you know and want to launch companies around each little slice of that. And it's true, like having outside input from venture about saying don't let's not rush to create fifteen companies. It's not about counting the number of startups you have. It's about getting something that's well positioned and well structured. Yeah. Um, yeah. Look, and, and, and look, if, if any university presidents or provosts ever listen to this, um, you know, what, what, what I what I'd say is, you know, uh, publication priority ought to be a derivative thing. Right. If you think about why there's this why universities have this push to, to publish and to, you know, it's in theory, it's because academics should be. Um, uh, pr uh, getting out their research that is that is uh, that can and will um, help advance a field and help help advance you know their 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 field and hopefully help advance humanity broadly right that's that's ultimately the goal and so the 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 general your know, fallback is well get the information out there faster publish it and 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 you're doing that um, now if you take a step back and say in, in at least in the in the therapeutics world you know you don't you don't you don't achieve really meaningful success in, in in certainly a patient population unless you have a drug out there and 
And so universities ought to start thinking about, now I recognize this won't happen and this is like a pipe dream, but universities ought to start thinking about other criteria uh, for promotion and, and tenure and what have you, including like, has your research led to an actual drug that's out there and, and, and in some way in, in treating patients? Now, again, pipe dream, publications are countable, they're easy, I get it, I understand it, but they are not, they, they are askew from the actual goal. Yeah. I think we've got time for one more question. And so something that's on, that's been on a lot of our minds and, uh, you know, Josh is an ER doc yourself, I think you'll, you'll appreciate this. Um, but, uh, um, we are faced, this is an unprecedented, at least during my lifetime, and I recognize that humanity has gone through many waves of crises before. Um, but for many of us, uh, this is one of the biggest threats we face and will lead to massive social disruption. And I think many universities are completely consumed these days of trying to just do the basics of you know, getting protective equipment into the hands of the clinicians, uh, into the ER docs like yourself, Josh, and, and others, um, and are scouring our, 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 our assets and working with the researchers to find, try and find the next generation of therapeutics and diagnostics relating to COVID. And at the same time, when this passes, humanity will still have all the same needs for healthcare that it had before. People will unfortunately still get cancer. They'll still have Alzheimer's. They'll still tear their ACLs. And so um, sitting where you are, uh, how are you, uh, has, has, the, has this crisis already impacted the way you, the kinds of opportunities that you're looking for and the way you're allocating your funds? And sort of, are you open for business? And also, do you see that over the next sort of three to six months, how do you see that evolving? Yeah, I can go first on this one. Um, so we are open for business, business as usual on, on 5 a.m. side, and we're, we're um, halfway through investing this fund. Um, our strategy is not changing as a result of COVID. I think what is changing um, uh, from the fund perspective is, you know, obviously our, our, I shouldn't say obviously, but our first priority is certainly our portfolio and our companies and how can we help and ensure that our portfolio is is uh, our current portfolio is successful. And so we're not slowing down our investing, but we are prioritizing certainly ensuring that our, our current funded portfolio is 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 going to get through the back end of, of this this crazy COVID time. Um, I think from a I wear my optimistic hat on this one. I, I am hopeful that what this does is is put a need and a pressure on the world to figure out this reimbursement problem with vaccines and antibacterials. And I'm hoping that this spurs future investment in that area. Um, that is an area that I'm personally very passionate about and I, I think has been um, a big challenge from the, obviously from the pharma space and also from the venture space and understanding business models that would make sense here. And so if, if there is a, an a upside of this, I'm, I'm hopeful that, that it's somehow um, a, a raising awareness of this has to get fixed, this has to get fixed soon, and, um, and promoting innovation in that space. Yeah, I mean, I think I think I, you know, I agree with all that. I think you know, from a you know, personal perspective, I'd say you know, if if you sort of um, look at, at at communities and industries that have responded in a you know um, um, reasonably selfless way to all of this, and I'm particularly proud of my two professional communities. You know, the the the, the 
emergency physician, but more broadly, sort of the, the frontline provider community, but and also the biotech, the bi biotech and biopharma community. And I think we've seen a lot of um, diversion of resources towards you know where people can help um, without without necessarily the first thought of of you know of profitability. I think that that we've taken this very very seriously. I think there are, there's more we can do. Um, uh, for sure, um, but but I, I I would I would call attention to that. Um, you know, I think ultimately, hopefully, this this reinforce right. It, you know, if if we if if there is something in the armamentarium uh, currently, whether you know uh, that 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 can um, change the course of this. It's not something that's in a lab right now. It's something that's you know approved right now. Um, it will be because of, of prior research and prior activity and, and a strong biopharmaceutical community that gave us this armamentarium. Um, to the extent that we have a vaccine 12 to 15 months from now and, and follow on therapeutics for future coronaviruses, um, mutated forms of this one, what have you, it will be because of the strong biopharmaceutical community we have. And so I think it's really, I, I'm hopeful that that uh, that this uh, re, um, reestablishes the importance of, of, of this strong um, you know, research and discovery and, and commercial development community and the collaborations between academia and early stage biotech that, that have that have and will you know result in in frankly you know what, whatever good comes out of this, uh, or um, so I think that's that that's important. And just you know to to you know to your earlier question, that's why we too are, are are open for business. We you know we don't see any we we see we don't see any fundamental change. There are absolutely um, near and probably medium term systematic systemic risks to funding our companies and so you know bringing in more capital now bringing building stronger syndicates now with other investors that we know have, have um you know have, have the pockets to, to keep companies going um it, it is is important and so we're not you know we're we're cognizant that the capital might not be as easy to come by um but uh you know the the, the need and the opportunity set hasn't hasn't fundamentally changed in any way well, I just want to thank you both. This is very gracious of you to, to make time for our audience. If if we were together, I'm sure there'd be questions from the audience. Unfortunately, I think that's going to have to wait for next year in Seattle. Um, in the meantime, Josh, Deb, thanks so much for making the time. Uh, and we really appreciate it. Thanks, Oren. Thanks, Oren.